But it's good to have you here this morning, you know, and I want to move on into the second part of this series, and as you can see this, I'm going to go ahead and start my timer, I ain't going to tell you how long it is, uh, and most of you already know, um, and if we're short of that, then we're just short, uh, but I just kind of use it as, as a timer for myself to, to keep me on point, uh, but I will always finish preaching when the Holy Spirit's done speaking. So I don't have anything to say, and what I'm asking you to do this morning is, as the Scripture said, he that has an ear, let him hear what, what the Spirit has to say to the church. So I'm not asking you to hear me this morning. I'm asking you to hear his voice within inside of my voice. And there's so many things that he wants to speak to you because, you know, as Paul said, you know, we've not arrived yet. You know, and if we're still here and we're in our flesh, well, then guess what we're struggling with every single day is our flesh. You know, sometimes, you know, I've, I apologize to my wife so many times and she used to say, are you bipolar? I'm like, no, I'm just convicted. <laughs> I'm just convicted of things that I say or my actions or my attitude. And you know, and the pastor is not going to pretend as if he's there or that he's arrived as well. It's just in this same manner that, that God called me, God chose me uh, for this place, this time, this season. And and I'm so thankful that you're here. But before my time begins to run away, uh, I'm going to let you go back. Uh, and I may touch on a little bit of it today to give you a little recap. You know, that, that, that King David wanted to build a temple for the Lord because before then, all the way from Exodus chapter 26, I believe it is, that the Ark of the Covenant, who knows what the Ark of the Covenant is? It really represented the presence of God. But you know what really dwelled within there? It was the Ten Commandments. You know, and of course, Jesus said that, that all the law and the prophets hinge on these two things, which was the commandments. So, so everything that we do is based off of the commandments. And he said the first is like this. He said, love the Lord God with what? All your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. Well, what does that mean? His main thing is my main thing. His agenda is my agenda. And if we're failing to do that, well, then guess what? We're breaking the first commandment. So that commandment is really commandment one through four. The second commandment, Jesus said, is likewise. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. So when we begin to think about uh, commandments number five through ten, it says, honor thy father and thy mother. That has to do with our relationship with man. Uh, do not steal, do not kill, do not bear false witness, uh, do not covet thy neighbor's wife, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and the list goes on. So, so that deals with our relationship with man, and then when we are in that reference against people, when we break that commandment, then guess what? Then we have broken the second commandment, which he said was just as equal uh, to the first. So, so, so David wanted to build a temple for God, for his presence to dwell. And so, so we're making this reference here today that, that we are the temple in which the Spirit of God wants to dwell in. And well, how do you say that, Pastor? Because if you go back in, in the first four Gospels, who knows what the four Gospels are? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, well, they're very similar. Yeah, they're very similar. It, 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 but read them. I, I, that's always such a great place to read. Well, guess where I'm reading from right now? The book of Luke. So, so uh, I, 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 anyways, I have my own reading plan that I stick with. But Jesus, Jesus had said this, you know, the, descri the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, you see, it's sad, you see. Man, that one works every single time. They, they come and they ask me, said, they said, Jesus, well, where is this kingdom? Jesus said the kingdom is within the kingdom is within. The temple that God desires to reside in is within us. And it's within our heart. It's within our soul. It's within our mind. And this is where God wants to dwell at. And so, so Dave, so, so this message is symbolic uh, to that same reference that we are the temple. So we want to make sure, yeah, we're talking about building the temple. We're talking about the temple that was being built in the Old Testament. But the reality is that we want to talk about the temple that God is building within us, a place for his presence to reside. You know, so, so David wanted to build a temple, but God told him, he said, man, you've got too much blood on your hands. He said, you can't build a temple. He said, but you know what? I'll let your son do it. 
I chose your son to do it. So, so the reference that we continue on with First Chronicles chapter 28, verses 5 through 10, I believe it was, was, was talking about how Solomon had to live before he could even build the temple. There was a charge that was given to him, and that charge that was given to him was live a lifestyle that is worthy of building the temple. So because there wasn't a temple that was ever built other than the temporary temple, and and so so what God wanted here was something that was extraordinary. And we talked about this a little bit last week. That it's two words. It's a compound word, and it's uh, extraordinary. So that it was the first word. Extra. What's the second word? Ordinary. Ordinary means common. So God is the extra. That means it's beyond common. God wanted something that was beyond common. God wanted something more than just saying, hey, we're children of Abraham. God wants to build a temple with inside of you that his presence can reside. So now we're going to pick up. We're going to pick up where we left off at last Sunday because David had placed the charge to Solomon that he had to live what we would say in our words, quote unquote, is the lifestyle of holiness. But the reality is, is what God's word has called us to live by. And if we're failing on that, then then we can't we can't. We can't do the extraordinary that God's called us to do if we're not first walking in the commandments of His Word. I'm, I'm only, only thing that I've ever done was let the Word speak to you. So I want to pick up in Second Chronicles chapter 28, verses 10 through 21. And if anybody knows me already, yes, I'll say this every week. I always have tons of Scripture. Why, Pastor, why do you do that? Because I want you to know that it's not my words. It's not my words. It's not thus says Pastor James. Thus says this is what I think it is. This is the word of God. So, so we all know that God's word is infallible, right? He said that heaven and earth shall what? Will pass away before his word does. So that means what? That means his word is going to stand forever. That means everything else is going to pass away, but his word is going to stand. So, so, so we, can, we can take that to the bank and we can cash it because we know how we're going to be judged. And, and we need to quit having a closed book. Because death is really, really, really close. And nobody knows exactly when death is going to hit. It's like I said last week, I had a cousin that died at 32 years old. Took some type of bad drug. Came unconscious. People dumped her out on the street. Propped her up against the building. And you never know where death is. First Chronicles chapter 28 verses 10 through 21. Thank you for having that up there baby. So take this seriously. Oh wow we're already starting. Man see, see I, I like the way this is starting out already. He says take this seriously. Second Chronicles chapter twenty-eight, verse ten. If you don't have your Bibles, you can read it on the on the board with us on the on the TV up there. He said, "So take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple as His sanctuary. Be strong and do the work." Well, what does it mean by being strong? That means you're going to become discouraged. That that means that you may fall off the wagon. That means that you may fall and scrape your knees up. That means that you may get some, some bruises. That means that you may get some abrasions. That may mean that you get some punctures. That may even mean that you might lose a limb. But he encouraged him to do what? To be strong. You know, my mind goes back to Joshua chapter 1. God even spoke to, to Joshua. He said, be strong, Joshua. Be courageous, Joshua. And it continues on this, verse 11. He said, then David gave Solomon the plans for the temple. Did you notice the S on the end of that? Do you think that that's by coincidence? Do you think that that's purposeful? I believe that it's purposeful because God has plans for our lives. Let, let me continue to read my scripture before I even <laughs> get to going here. He said, so David gave Solomon the plans for the temple and its surroundings, including the entry room, the storerooms, the upstairs rooms, the inner rooms, the inner sanctuary, which was the place of atonement. David also gave Solomon all the plans that he had in mind for the courtyards, in the Lord's temple, the outside rooms, the treasuries, and the rooms for the gifts dedicated to the Lord. Verse 13. And the, the, uh, the king also gave Solomon the instruction concerning the work of the various divisions of priests and Levites in the temple. And he gave specific specifications 
for the items in the temple that were to be used for worship. Verse 14. David gave instructions regarding how much gold and silver would be used to make the items uh, needed for service. He told Solomon the amount of gold needed for the gold uh, lampstands and the lamps and the amount of silver for the silver lampstands and lamps depending on how each would be used. He designated the amount of gold for the table on which the bread of the presence would be placed and the amount of silver for each table. David also designated the amount of silver for the solid gold meat hooks used to handle the sacrificial meat and for the basins, the pitchers, and the dishes, as well as the amount of silver for each dish. He designated the amount of refined gold for the altar of incense. Finally, he gave him a plan for the Lord's chariot, a gold cherub whose wings would stretch out over the ark of the Lord's covenant. Each part, verse 19, each part of this plan, David told Solomon, was given to me in writing from the hand of the Lord. Wow. Then David continued, be strong and courageous and do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord God. My God is with you. He will not fail you or forsaken you. He will see to it that all of the work related to the temple of the Lord is finished correctly. Somebody say finished correctly. Amen. The various divisions of the priests and the Levites will serve in the temple of the Lord. Others with skills of every kind will volunteer and the officials of the entire nations are at your hand. You know, I'm going to step away from my notes for just a few moments because I just feel something so much more that the Lord is just speaking that he wants to place emphasis on this morning. Do we notice all the very specifics, the specifics that David, that God had given David because he said that the Lord had wrote this with his own hand. God wrote something about our life. And God has a plan for our life. And so oftentimes we, 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 we want to try to deviate from what God has planned. But we've all heard the saying, hey man, uh, uh, go back with what the first intention was. Or go back to where your heart is in this. And, and, you know, and, and I want to get into something here in just a moment. So as, as we spoke last week about the instructions that King David had given Solomon. We liken it to ourselves of the extraordinary that God has called us to build. But first reminds us of the way we must live to be able to be established. For his temple to be established. With this seriousness, David continues with the blueprint of the temple that will be built. The temple that will host the presence of God's glory. As we should already know that this is symbolic to our temples being the place of God's presence to dwell. We, so we should not find it to be surprised that these same types of plans are instituted for our lives as well. The plans that reveal the type of temple that he desires to dwell in. You know, and so, so as, as, as I was reading uh, and as I was just in prayer yesterday, the Lord reminded me of a series that, that I preached earlier this year back in June. Some of you may be aware of it and some of you may not be and, and that's totally fine. You can go back and, and watch it. But I preached a series called The Bigger Picture. And in the bigger picture, part three of this, this was called that every piece has a place. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? A puzzle. We were talking about a puzzle. And every piece of the puzzle has a place. And, and, and not all, the, 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 these pieces of the puzzle don't always interact with one another, but they have a specific place that they have to be. And so I want you to understand with that emphasis this morning that there's pieces of your puzzle, there's pieces of your life that are so intricately wo woven, woven, that they have the very specific place in which they're supposed to fit. But how many times have we tried to put pieces of the puzzle where they don't belong? We're all guilty of that. 
I mean, you know, and, and, and yeah, it's kind of a rhetorical question, but still in the same reference. So I, I want to take your mind back just for a few moments, if I could, to Jeremiah 29 and 11. Uh, a very familiar scripture that we're all familiar with. And if you're not familiar with it, I would suggest that you do get familiar with it. So now watch this. And it says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Even though Jeremiah was speaking this, but he, who said this? The Lord. So the Lord is speaking this very same thing over your life. That I know the plans that I have for you. So if we just stop there for just a moment, and some of you may keep reading, that's fine, but you're going to read out here in a second. But he said, I know the plans that I have for you. And the same words for plans is the same word for a blueprint. How many of us has ever looked at blueprints? We've ever looked at a set of plans, maybe for a set of power lines or for a house or or for road construction, or et cetera, et cetera, uh, or maybe even disassembling or putting radios back together, Brother Richie. But we've all, in some fashion or form, we've seen a set of blueprints, and sometimes we look at them and we're like, I don't know what this is. And then we usually turn to the last page and it's like, oh, it's supposed to make this right here. So we, we see the finished product, but it's all the in-between. It's the specifications. You see, and David talked about this with Solomon, that he gave him the specifications. And sometimes we don't understand why certain things are happening in our life. And we don't understand uh, why we may lose a daughter or why we may lose a mother or a father or a sister. We, we don't understand these things. But you see, but uh, overall, God has a plan. And you're part of that plan. And every part of that plan, God has specifically designed for you. He never asked us to understand it, did he? He just says, build it. He, he, didn't, he didn't ask Solomon, do you understand these plans? Here's the plans. Now you take them and you go do it. And, so, and, and, and as my mind goes back, that it took, uh, it took seven years to build this temple. It took seven years. And, and we look at our life. And, and we spend a lifetime for God's plans to take place. You know, I, I, I look at my life, you know, that I was, you know, I grew up in church and, and, and I grew up uh, knowing the Lord and fearing the Lord and loving the Lord. But, you know, as I become a teenager, I walked away from all of that. And as I got married, I was like, you know, well, I'm going to go back to my roots and and so me and the wife, we started going to church. And then the next thing I know, well, the Lord called me to preach. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I don't understand this. But yeah, you know, my first message, man, I was already done by now. I was, I was already done. Like 10 minutes, I was, I was done. Because I was so nervous, so much of that that I was doing within myself. But, excuse me, and then time went on. And then we became a part of another church somewhere. And then... Uh, I began to help the the senior pastor, and I became a youth pastor, and and I was like, oh wow, Lord, your your plan is really unfolding here, and and so many things is happening for us, and we just were loving this, and Lord just began to really speak and minister to me so much, and then something happened. We got hurt in the church. Now I'm just going to be an open book here for you, if I could. We got hurt in the church by leadership, and we walked away. And we started attending another church, and we became comfortable with not doing anything. We become comfortable with not picking up our Bibles no more. We became comfortable with watching anything on TV. We became comfortable with putting anything in our ears. You see, the Bible says that our ears and our eyes are gates to our soul. So we got to understand that the things that we watch, the things that we see, the things that we listen to will affect us. Short story long. Yeah, I said that backwards. Almost six years ago, my daughter passed away. And it took it nine months before it hit me. And when it did, it devastated me. Some of you here are witness to who I was and who I had became so cold-hearted. And I hated God. I hated Him. And me and my wife had separated. I'm not saying this as if it's anything that I'm proud about because I'm not. But God began to deal with me in my long time. And he told me to come back home. 
and I came back home and I was not the same person that I left as. See, because when I came back, that old me was now dead. And that person is continuously staying in the grave. He's continuously staying on the cross and being crucified daily. And as I begin to go through the process, the Lord begins to say, hey, you're going to pastor a church. And I'm like, Lord, I'm, <laughs> I'm not worthy of this. I don't even know how to pastor. I don't even know how to preach anymore. I don't even know how to study your word. Every scripture that I've ever remembered is now gone from my memory because I had walked away for so long. And all during this time and all this process, every friend, every associate that I'd ever had was no longer a friend nor an associate no more. And then here I am, I'm sitting all alone, and it's just me and the wife. And I'm like, Lord, I'm so lonely. Lord, I don't understand why you're doing this to me. But a part of his plan. So I continued to walk in obedience, and we open up church in a home, and so many people are like, man, you're having church in your house? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then as we continue, you can sit and you can see where we are sometime later. And it isn't anything fabulous, but you know what we've done here? It's what we've been doing all along as we've been building a temple. A place for His presence to reside. A place where people that are broken, that they can come and they can find peace. They can find what it is that God has for them. Jeremiah continued on. He said, for they are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future. And I hope so many times we see that the plan of God is not working in our benefit. We don't see that it's working out the way that we want it to work out. But God has a plan. And I'm here to tell you today that we're building a temple and God's building a place for His presence to reside and He has a plan for your life. So if I had my time back, I'd go back and I'd put the plans of God because it was plural. God has multiple designs. And it just didn't stop with the temple. It went, all went on into the courtyards as well. So we will spread out amongst this place. Let me continue here if I could. I don't know where I left my snot rag. <laughs> Excuse me. So how many times... Thank you, sister. How many times have we seen this visible in our life? And I know I'm touching back. I'm just touching on my notes a little bit. How many times where we saw that the plan just seemed to be so hurtful? It just seemed to be like, hey man, this is, this is the end of the road right here. I don't, I don't know what else can happen from here. There's only one other thing to do. But how many knows that God don't have a plan B? God has a plan. Let me continue here. In most cases, at the time of the stress, we didn't view this as to be in our favor. Favor, And we must be honest with ourselves that we didn't view this from the heart of God. In this scripture and so many others, God gives us His reassurance that He has our best intention and plans at heart. Remember as a kid, you know, mom and dad always stressed the importance, hey, don't ride your bike in the road. Car could hit you. But as a kid, I viewed it as what? Man, this is like pavement, and I can go like as fast as these, these little legs will take me, and I can go as hard as I want, but mom and dad don't want me to have fun. But you see what mom and dad saw? Was they saw something that I didn't. And God knows the plans that He has for us. And we think that there's so many times that God is trying to hurt us, that God is trying to harm us. But what God is really wanting to do is He's wanting to separate what's not Him. And, and we can get into that some other time about preaching on or being refined by fire. 
as we recall back to our foundational scripture that David gave Solomon all the plans for every part of the temple and all the parts that would contribute to the finished product. And as we have stated last week in our slide here, it says, so oftentimes we are focused on the destination that we fail to see that the journey is used to transform us into his image and his likeness. That's so true. Why would we ever want to get to a destination if we were never prepared to be there? So God is, God is using all of these incidences in our life to transform us into Him. And to transform us into Him means what? What's not Him has to come out. And, and, and what is it that's not Him? A sinful nature. That's what's not God. John chapter 3, it says that all sin is lawlessness. So, so if we could interpretate this, interpolate it. <laughs> Some version says that all sin is contrary to who God is. It's contrary to His nature. So in reading that, you know, the Lord has spoke to me and He's placed it on my heart and it becomes my daily. And, and I don't have a slide for this, but I want you to remember this. When we view sin... Well, what is sin again? The opposite of who God is? When we view sin the way that God views sin, then we'll respond to sin the same way He responds to it. Y'all hear me on that? When we view sin the way that God views sin, we'll respond to sin the same way He does. And if we're not responding to it the way that God responds to it, then we've really got to question where our heart is. You see, do I have to drill a hole into a tree to find out what kind of heart it has? Do you? do you? Do you have to drill into a tree to see if that tree's good or not? How do you know if a tree's good or not? By the fruit that it bears. By the fruit that it bears. And if we're not bearing the fruit that God has called us to, He says that He will prune it. And He said that He will throw it into the fire. These are not my words. These are your scripture. So what is His image? I'm so glad you asked. Y'all asked that question, right? So, so what is his image? His image is his word. That's who he's calling us to be. That's who he's calling us and creating us to be. Turn with me to Psalms chapter 138, verse 2. It'll be on the screen. You have magnified your word above your name. Wow. Are, are, are y'all reading the same thing that I'm reading here? Because here's what that's telling me. You magnify your word above your name. So that means that your word supersedes what your name is. The way that we act, the way that we talk supersedes a title that we may carry. You know, if there was a pastor and he was out molesting kids, God forbid. But if they were doing stuff like that and having uh, committing adultery against his wife, would his title mean anything or would his character say who he really is? So then why do, we, so why do we stop that title with just a pastor? How about a Christian? How about as we read, you know, that, that God can turn these rocks into his children. God can do anything that he wants to do just by doing what? Speaking his word. So when we begin to speak God's word over our life, over our situations, over these plans that God has for us, then we're doing what? Is we're prophesying. And we're prophesying his word over our life. But then again, I'm going to go like I do every single week. Because I always stress the importance about reading God's word. So how can you prophesy of your life God's plans if you don't know what his word is? I'm just being real with you. Every part of our life is purpose to transform us into His image. I want to go into a short story. Genesis chapter 37, verses 5 through 10. And we're going to watch this plan. We're going to watch God's plan unfold in this young man's life. Genesis chapter 37. Verses 5 through 10. And it said, One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field, tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up. 
and my bundles all gathered around and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before me. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. If we could stop before we go to the next verse, is, is they hated him because of the plan that God had for his life. You see, and I'm going to tell you right now, when you begin to walk, when you catch the vision of what God has for your life, people are going to hate you. People are going to walk away from you. People are not going to be there for you no more. When you really catch the dream of what God has for you, and these were his own family. Excuse me, so that means that we may lose friends. We may lose family members. We may lose people that are close associates. But you know if they're not a part of your plan, then what's going to happen is they're going to be removed. They're going to be removed. And so many people, I'm not saying that the people that, that disassociated with me is not a part of God's plan, but they would have been a hindrance for me. They would have been a hindrance for me building a temple that God has called me to build. Let me continue on here. Verse 9. So Joseph had another dream. Oh, wow. He had another dream? And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? And it wasn't that Joseph was disrespectful to his dad. He was just simply saying, hey, the Lord's laid this on my heart. And, 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 so, and, and it might, I might not understand the fullness of this, but God does. So Joseph had received a dream of the plans God had had for his life. And if anybody knows the story, that, I mean, it, man, it continues on through the book of Genesis. You know, they hated him. So what did they do to him? His brothers wanted to kill him. And in the process, uh, the older brother said, hey, let's, let's not kill him. Let's, let's just sell him into slavery. Because they saw some Ishmaelites. And they sold him into slavery for 30 pieces, or maybe it was 20 pieces of silver. Don't quote me on that. Read your Bible. And Joseph went, and he became a slave for Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife caught the hots for him. I mean, like, now when I say that, she wanted to sleep with him. And here he was as a slave. And yet she wanted to sleep with him. And yet she's married to Potiphar. This man had lots of money. And she caught the hots for him. And she wanted to lay with him and wanted to sleep with him. But you know what David, uh, you know what Joshua, uh, so I'm sorry, Joseph kept saying? Joseph. I'll get it right in a minute. Was he continuing to deny her? But was he really denying her or was he obeying God's heart? But let me ask you this. What book of the Bible is Genesis? It's the first, right? Who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses. Moses wasn't even alive yet. So did Joseph even have a Bible to read? His reverential fear of God told him how he had to walk. He remembered the covenant. And the covenant for them in those days was to be circumcised. And this was one of the ways how David proved to himself, to his brothers, that he really was a Jew because he showed them that he was circumcised. And it was a covenant. And that covenant represents a cutting away of the flesh. How symbolic is that for us of a removing of our fleshly nature? As we continue on here, Joseph denied her that. So what did she do? She screamed rape. She screamed sexual harassment. And so and then what happens was Potiphar placed him in the prison. And within this prison, 
Pharaoh's two servants, a butler and a baker, came. And they both had a dream. And David interpreted their dream. And within this interpretation, he said, hey guys. You know, he could have said, you know what? I had a dream too. I had a dream. I had a vision of what God has for me. But I'm sitting here helping you to, to walk through and to fulfill yours. So I'm asking, hey, don't forget me when you go back to Pharaoh. I, I'm still right here. And then the butler, and the, one died and the other one was reestablished because of the interpretation of the dream. And as Joseph was, re, as, as the, the uh, butler, I believe it was a uh, cupbearer, was reestablished. He came back and then he forgot all about Joseph. And then one day, Pharaoh, you know, anybody know who Pharaoh was? At this time, Egypt was the most powerful nation in the world. You know, because the Pharaohs, they thought they were the God. They thought they were God. And Pharaoh had a dream. And one of the servants remembered, he said, hey, there was this guy in the dungeon. He interpreted our dreams. Maybe he can do the same for you. So Pharaoh summons him. And within this, within being summoned, he interpreted the dreams. The seven years of feast in the seven years of famine. And David asked for nothing in response. But you know what his reward was? He was placed in second in command over Egypt. You're talking about a man that went from slavery to the dungeon. You know how long of a process this was? This was 13 years. 13 years. And then he began to place his, his family on the back burner. He no longer really thought about them in the reference because if you go and see what the meaning of his children's names were, this is what it represented. But then after the seven years of feast, so now we're sitting at 20 years. 20 years and, and his brothers had still not bowed to him because this was the vision that God had given him. And after those seven years of feast, it was the beginning of seven years of famine. And his brothers came and they were seeking grain and wheat so that they could feed their own family. And within this, they bowed and they worshipped him. Or at least they, they paid honor to him, but they didn't know who he was. And within this... We're going to pick up with Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 8. So Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear him, and the word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of him. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer, and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery. Verse 5. He said, but don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me into this place. It was, oh, listen to this. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine has, that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. Verse 7, what's to underline here? God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here and not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace, and the governor of all of Egypt. You see, his brothers had a plan. 
They, they originated, started with a plan to kill him. And then the plan changed to sell him into slavery. And they will no longer have to deal with him. Because you know what? Once you were sold into slavery, what does that mean? You would always be a slave. You would marry a slave. Your kids would be slaves. And they thought this process through. You see, they had a plan. But God has a plan. And nobody can take you out of God's plan but yourself. People may come against you. People may talk about you. People may abandon you. But God has a plan. And you are the only one that can step out of God's plan. You are the only one that can build the temple that God has called for you. So God's plans will supersede ours if we continue in His ordinance. Read with me in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. We make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. We have our own plans. But God is the one that orders each step that we really take. Because sometimes we have a plan, but guess what? That plan might not always happen. Oh, well, you know, we're going to get married. I remember me and my wife, we're going to get married, and we're going to live happily ever after. You know, we had the American dream where we're going to have this nice house with a white picket fence sitting on two acres of land. Man, and I did not understand all of the struggles that we would go through through our marriage. But look where we are. And what God has done. God has a plan. And they have superseded my plan for my life. David continues in Psalms 139, verse 16 through 18. Read this. You saw me before I was born. What does that mean? Let's keep reading. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. You know, God wrote a book about your life. God wrote a book about your life. God has a plan for your life. And within this book are His plans. Are we allowing His plans to unfold the way that He desires them to? It might take 20 years. Ham, you know when I started preaching? How old was I? Kaylee, how old are you? 22. I started preaching 22 years ago. And I had a dream of being a pastor. I had a dream as a kid being a pastor. I used to, I used to make my own pulpit in the room and put the stuffed animals around as if I was preaching to them. But God gave me a plan, and it wasn't my plan because my plan quickly took me to drugs, alcohol, and other things that we won't mention here. But God has a plan and He knows how to He knows how to reel us back in. But the question is, is do we really have to hit rock bottom before we do? Do we have to get between the rock and the hard place? Well, you know, I did. I did. And it was the love of God that drew me to Him. It was the love of God that drew me to Him, but you know what keeps me drawn to Him? is the awe of God, my reverential fear of Him, the way that I venerate Him, the way I just stand in awe of who He is. That's what keeps me drawn to Him. It's because, God, You see my heart. You see every facet about me, and there's nothing that I can hide from You. I may be able to hide it from man, but I can't hide it from You, God. You see everything, and You know all things. You see, and people may judge us. But what's the final count? Is when we stand before Jesus and we're judged by what? By His Word. So why are we continually taking a test with a closed book? Listen to this, verse 17. He said, how precious are your thoughts about me? Again, the thoughts, the plans, the blueprints that you have for me. He said, they cannot be numbered. We don't understand what it means to not be numbered because when we can't put a number on something, then it's what? What is the number that we say? Infinity. It's unnumerable. You, 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 you can't put a number on it. He said, oh God, that they can't be numbered. He said, I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. 
you know, scientists say you could take a cubic foot box. You know what a cubic foot is? One foot by one foot by one foot. And there's approximately one billion grains of sand. I've been married to my wife for 25 years in a, in a month and one day. <laughs> Happy early anniversary, baby. Yeah, my mom and dad has been married for 47 years. 48. My in-laws have been married for 48. I'm not going to put you on the spot, my father-in-law. <laughs> but they've been married a long time. But if you could begin to put every time you've thought about my mom, every time you've thought about my mother-in-law, uh, uh, Brother Justice, uh, every time that you've had a thought about your wife, every time I've had a thought about my wife, could it even equal a billion thoughts? Over 25 years, I, I can't. I, I'm not even going to come close to a billion, a billion thoughts for my wife. You see, but David said that your thoughts for me, your plans for me outnumber all of the grains of sand. Let that hit with you. His thoughts for you outnumber. He did, he, now, we were just talking about a cubit box, but David said that they outnumber every grain of sand. Who's ever seen a golf course? I mean, this, the sand traps, I mean, come on, those of us that play golf has probably been in the sand trap more than we've been in the fairway, uh, at least when you start out anyways. How many of us have ever been to the beach? The numbers of sand, are they numerable? We can't even begin to fathom because it's, un it's unnumberable, unnumerable, uh, however you want to say it. I'll make up my own words, I'm standing up here today. <laughs> but they outnumber that but yet we think that God doesn't have our best intention at heart we, we think that the things that's happening to us are just because oh well God doesn't love me do, do we think that, that God doesn't understand our thoughts and our feelings do, do, do we not understand his plan that he has for us See, the only way to understand His plan for us is to read His plan. I speak always so much the importance of reading God's Word. And I know we're a little low-key this morning and we're not a shouting message. We had a really great message last week. But God wants you to understand the seriousness today of the plans that He has for you. And they will supersede if you will walk in obedience. Verse 18, he says, I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, you're still with me. Even when I get tired of counting the grains of sand, you're still there when I wake up from trying to count them. Now we've all heard to say, and this is kind of where it goes, hey, count sheep so you can fall asleep. He was trying to count sand, and he was trying to understand, he was trying to fathom these thoughts that God has for him. So I want to pose this question to you today. I want you to take this seriously. Maybe put this in your phone as a reminder. Maybe make this a part of your daily prayer. Make this uh, your motto. Does your plan look like God's plan? Does your plan look like God's plan? And if our plan don't look like God's plan, then, then we got to say, hey God, I need to know what your plan is. If they outnumber everything that I could think about, then God, I need to know what your plan is for my life. You see, because God didn't put us here on this earth just for ourselves. He put me here for you sitting here today. He put me here for this community. He put me here for my family. Does your plan look like God's plan? You see, because I have to ask yourself the question, or ask myself the question if I could, my plan was to have the nice two-story house. It was to have the nice little picket fence around the front yard. It was to have two or three kids running around with beards and bald heads. <laughs> maybe and, and, and that didn't happen you see but I had a plan you know my, my wife had a plan about our marriage maybe you have a plan about your marriage or what it should look like 
maybe the ministry that God's called you into. Does your plan look like His plan? Because if it doesn't, then you're not fulfilling what God has called you to do. God has planned extraordinary for your life. He didn't call us for common. He, 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 nothing about God is common, so why would He ever call us to common? So God has planned an extraordinary for your life. Are you willing, listen to this now, if He's planned the extraordinary, now here's the next question. Are you willing to do the extraordinary to build a temple for His presence to dwell? Are you willing? You see, because you know, I preach the message the time back and said, have you considered the cost? You know, when, when we go to the, maybe not all of the, McDonald's drive-thru, I can't stand McDonald's. Anyway, it's not a story. When you go through Burger King or Taco Bell, or when you go out to a restaurant to sit down with your wife, maybe to have a date, or take your girlfriend out, did, did you consider the cost of what it was going to cost you? It's, Everything that we do is going to cost us something. You see, Jesus said, Jesus even said that Jesus said, count the cost. It's going to cost you something. And to do the extraordinary that God's called you to do, now this is, now this is if you want to do the extraordinary, because God's called us to it. If you want to do the extraordinary, it's going to cost you extraordinary. It's going to cost you friends. It's going to cost you family. It's going to cost you loved ones. See, we're going to cost you some money. But I don't know if you read in the Bible because I have read it. It says money makes the world go round. It does say that. Look it up. But it also says the love of money is the root of all evil. So just because we have money doesn't mean that we love it. We, we don't allow it to rule our life. But all of this is, is a part. You see, because I've sowed a lot of seeds into my ministry. I've had a lot of other people that have sowed seeds into this ministry. And, and God has a plan and God has a way of making his plan come to fruition. The, the, the thing is, is am I willing am, am I willing to take off work to come and lay floor, to put up walls, to paint walls? A, a, am I willing? Am I willing to stay here at 9 o'clock at night? A, am I willing to come here early on Sunday mornings just to, 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 to pray and to invite the Holy Spirit just to come and to be a part of this? A, am, am I willing to sit down on Fridays and Saturdays and prepare a message? And see, what am I doing? Is I'm sacrificing myself. I'm sacrificing myself. And you know what? It doesn't benefit me. It benefits you. My gifting and my calling is not for myself. How many lives are in the balance right now because we've chosen not to do the extraordinary? Didn't we use the example last week? If we saw a blind person getting ready to walk out into oncoming traffic or somebody driving a car getting ready to drive off into the Grand Canyon, what would we do? Wouldn't we stop them? Why aren't we doing that for the kingdom? Lord, I'm, I'm just, I'm not ready for what you've called me to do. Lord, I just, I'm just going to be honest with you, Lord. I think more of myself than I do you. I'm just going to be real honest, Lord. I'm, I'm greedy, and I don't care what you want. Uh, and, and you know, and I said it that way, but you know what the reality is? Is that when we tell the Lord, no, that's exactly what we're telling Him. That's exactly what we're telling Him. So, so if your kid was to tell you the same thing, hey, go clean your room. No. <laughs> What's the very next thing you think is going to happen? Okay, I may ask you again. But you are going to clean your room, whether you like it or not. And God has a way of, like I said, reeling us back in. Because sometimes we, we get too much leash on the line or too much, uh, too much slack in the line. We ask ourselves that question. When we're saying no to God, when we don't do what He's called us to do, that is the reality of what we're doing. So every section, every part of the temple was very strategically planned and it came with a price. 
If you want to understand the price next week, come and join us. If you want to understand that price that it's going to cost you, come next week. Maybe if you could just give us some music for just a moment. And man, we're like right on target. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. A little more volume, please. I want you to be honest with yourself this morning, if you could. The Lord has spoken so much here today. You see, because what we ask is we we ask that you would hear His voice and not my voice. And everything that He has had to speak this morning was on God's behalf. You may say, Pastor, you know, man, you really inspired me in this message today. You see, and as we spoke some time back, we talked about that inspiration makes you want to change. But revelation causes you to be changed. I'm not here to inspire you this morning. I come to bring you a revelation. I I, I come to open up the books of what God has done, not only in my life, but He did it in the life of David. He did it in the life of Solomon. He did it in the life of Joseph. He did it in the life of Joshua. He did it in the life of of each each one of these, these people within God's Word. see and they weren't inspired because he said he said be strong and courageous you see they had to catch a revelation that they knew it was going to be hard it's going to be hard to walk in God's ordinances but the great news to that is that you don't have to do it within your own ability that's why we have God's grace God's grace is His empowerment. You read it in the book of Peter. Paul said, Lord, that your grace is sufficient, that it is perfected in my weakness. It said that that the the grace of God was upon Jesus. Wait a minute, Pastor. Isn't grace God's forgiveness? Why would it be God's forgiveness if it said that Jesus was moved upon with the grace of God? Jesus lived a life that was sinless. Does your plan look like God's plan? You see, Paul, when he was on the road to Damascus, he was on his way to go persecute Christians right then. And it said, and a bright light shone, and he fell off of his horse. I like to say that, that Saul was knocked off of his high horse. And he was struck with blindness. You see, Paul wasn't inspired by what he saw and what he heard. He received a revelation of who Jesus Christ was. And from that point on, he changed lives. You'll reach people that I came. And I'll reach people that you came. God has a plan for your life. Does your plan look like His plan? Because if we're working off of two different blueprints, then we're not getting the same result. to open the altar for just a few moments of those that may want to come down maybe you just want to do it in your seat and maybe you just want to say Lord I'm tired I'm tired of building a house Lord that doesn't look like anything that you're doing Lord I want what you want I'm tired of doing life my way because I get the same results over and over and over again I want to do what you're building in me, Lord.
see this is the only decision that you can make today. See, the devil may even be trying to trick you and say, hey, no, not today. Maybe next week. Come back next week and maybe it's next week. Nobody's promised tomorrow. Two things that separates us from forever. One heartbeat and one breath of air. That's all it takes. You know how many people didn't wake up this morning that went to sleep last night? Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord, that you've spoken to us here today. Lord, we speak not, Lord, on our own part or our own behalf. But, Lord, we speak your oracles. Thank you, Lord, for a revelation that you've given each and every one of us, Lord, here today. We thank you, Lord, that as we part ways, Lord, that you would continue to be with us, that you would keep us safe, that you would watch and protect over us, Lord. Thank you for your love, your mercy, and your kindness. Lord, and we ask that if it's your will and it's your desire, Lord, bring us back safely again next week. And let us hear your heart. We thank you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen.